Green policies leave little kids stranded in the cold. Then Mark Morano of Climate Depot joins us to explain how Dutch farmers have liberated Europe from environmentalist-imposed food scarcity. It's February 16th, 2024. I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed, but you're watching The Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. Did you see this story from this past summer? I know I saw it and I loved it. And I'll read a little bit of it to you as well because I hope you'll love it just as much as I do. The owner of a 2023 Ford F-150 Lightning Lariat with an extended range battery regrets buying the electric truck after attempting a road trip only to abandon it and finish the drive with a gas-powered rental vehicle. Dalbir Bala of LaSalle, Manitoba, left the truck in Minnesota last month after he said he tried unsuccessfully to charge the battery at two different charging stations. It was really a nightmare frustration for us, Bala said. Now, that's not a one-of event. In fact, this has been going on for years. Look at this from four years ago. Driving up to her cottage in Eastman last week, Barbara Andres had her mind on the storm. With her husband at the wheel of their brand new Nissan Leaf, they'd left home 75% charged. They didn't even think about a possible power outage. We had 60 kilometers left and I was going to go and plug the car in and shortly thereafter the electricity went out. The outages across the province meant they were stuck. It's an issue that isn't just happening here. Hundreds of thousands of customers are without power across California, waking up to a widespread blackout. Last month, California shut down power in some areas to lower the risk of wildfires. Electric car company Tesla sent its customers alerts, warning them to charge up before the power went out. This expert from CAA Quebec says it's important to be prepared. It's really important that they, uh, they start to be fully charged and that if they have a longer, um, a longer stretch of road uh, to cover, uh, that, they, uh, that they prepare a kind of a con contingency plan uh, with different uh, uh, solutions for charging. I can see down here you know, how much battery is left. Andres admits they're new to electric car ownership, but they should have planned in advance. It's a learning experience, right? There was a storm coming in. We didn't really think about the fact that it was going to use up that much kilometers. We didn't really think about the fact that maybe there might be an electrical out um, power outage. Now, instead of relying only on the public charging stations, Andres got a charger installed at her cottage. So next time she'll be ready. Now to add facts to these sorry circumstances and anecdotes we've got post media's lauren gunter who wrote this article last month and boy it spits the harsh facts look at this since this is a country that experiences extreme cold weather below minus 25 degrees celsius most winters that makes an ev electric vehicle an unacceptable risk or at the very least a horrible inconvenience also this week the highly respected testing magazine Consumer Reports said that when temperatures are only as cold as plus 7 degrees Celsius, I wish electric vehicles lose about 25% of their range compared to temperatures of plus 15 degrees Celsius and a third when compared to temperatures of plus 25 degrees Celsius. Additionally, Consumer Reports found that short trips 
in the cold with frequent stops and the need to reheat the cabin after a parking pause saps 50% of the range. That means electric vehicles may be impractical in Canada even for urban commuters or suburban families. Late last year, Consumer Reports also concluded that electric vehicles are 73% less reliable than gasoline vehicles. As well, they were more expensive to maintain and repair, and when the cost of electricity and home chargers are included, electric vehicles are at least as expensive as gasoline vehicles to refuel. And then then there's this story, closer to home for me. I think you'll, you're putting together what I'm doing here. The city of Edmonton is seeking more than $82 million in damages from vehicle manufacturer Proterra in regards to a contract for electric buses. Edmonton, or rather Edmonton taxpayers, purchased 60 battery-operated buses from the California-based Proterra between February 2019 and August 2021. Now, Proterra filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy. Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection is a form of bankruptcy proceedings that allow the businesses to continue operating while it works with creditors. In the original purchase contract for the buses, Proterra committed to numerous warranty obligations and claimed the buses would achieve a certain operating range. Yeah, I bet they did. In the claim against Proterra filed February 2nd, the city of Edmonton says that the buses have never once... (laughs) Sorry, I should laugh. Have never once achieved the operating range laid out in the contract, and there have been significant defects with the buses. Contrary to the contract specification that the buses would be suitably designed to perform in Edmonton's climate conditions and would have an operating range of 328 kilometers or 268 kilometers in extreme cold, the range has consistently been much shorter, the claim says. On average, The bus range has been approximately 165 kilometers in the winter and at best 250 kilometers in warmer weather. Mechanical issues such as gearbox failures, steering box failures, and cracking of the composite body structures have also kept most of the buses off the road. So we've got five years of electric bus catastrophes in the winter city of Edmonton. So... Here comes the city of Ottawa, and they say, sign us up to that mess, too. Look at this. Under the city of Ottawa's climate change plan, Ottawa will spend $986 million, holy moly, almost a billion bucks, to roll out 450 new battery-operated buses over five years. So this is by 2027. And transition to a fully zero-emission bus fleet by 2036. That's more than $2 million per bus, but includes the recharging infrastructure. This also means retiring several hundred diesel-powered buses long before the end of their useful lives and replacing them with vehicles that cost twice as much. This is going to be an absolute mess for the city of Ottawa, but these are adults making adult decisions. Unfortunately, a lot of these bad decisions are being made with other people's money, taxpayers' money. But now, this is where it gets me. The green scam is stranding little kids in the Maritimes. Look at this. From the CBC of all places. Three years ago, the PEI government rolled out its new electric 
school buses with much fanfare. I bet there wasn't actually much fanfare, by the way, except from the mainstream media and progressives. But I think I'm repeating myself there. Let's keep going. Now, some drivers say the buses are plagued with problems with 16 to 18 of the vehicles in the shop at a time on occasions out of a total of just over 100. Robert Geis, president of QP Local 1145, which represents school bus drivers on the island, says he believes the provincial government rushed into buying the new buses and now students and drivers are paying the price. He said the biggest problems are the heating systems, leaving some buses icy cold and leading to windows fogging and freezing up. Excuse me, what about the little people on the bus getting cold? There are also issues with air compressors freezing, which can interfere with braking, Geis said during an interview with CBC News. So not only are these, th these things cold and unreliable, but potentially dangerous. I mean, I feel like brakes are important on a school bus. So let's summarize. One third of the school buses in PEI are electric. So it's a catastrophe waiting to get even worse. And people who thought they were doing the right thing by buying an electric truck, well, they got stranded. People who think they're doing the right thing by using public transit get stranded. Cities that claim to be doing the right thing by buying expensive electric buses are stranding commuters. And now little kids are being stranded because their school buses are electric and they just don't work. And so will the federal government rethink this mad pursuit of allowing the sale of only net zero vehicles in Canada by 2030 or 2035 or 2050 or whatever they've pegged the number at now? Of course not, because the federal government and those bureaucrats and those MPs, they'll get to use their private jets and their drivers, and you can stand in the cold, stranded with your children. Mark Morano from Climate Depot joins us up next to discuss a win for sanity and food security in Europe thanks to Dutch farmers. Hang tight. So my monologue tonight was about how Canada at all costs seems to be pursuing green schemes, whether they work or not whether the kids can get to school or not if they're riding an electric bus or whether you can get to work or not. It is unusual, however, for me as a Western Canadian farmer uh, to see farmers being listened to around the world, finally. And that is somewhat the case right now in the Netherlands. And joining me now to talk about exactly this is good friend of the Ezra Levant Show and friend to the rebel Mark Morano of Climate Depot. Mark, thanks for joining me. So before we had the election of your Wilders, the Dutch government was really completely off the rails. They were as radical yes. as Justin Trudeau. But things have changed and months long farmers protests have, I think, somewhat moved the needle with regard to these climate policies that were being adopted by the Dutch government and were sort of coming down from the EU and the World Economic Forum and the United Nations. Give us an update about this. Yeah, this has been going on for a while. Now, first of all, net zero, just so we understand, you could say it's the intentional collapse or severe rationing of our energy, food supply, 
and transportation freedom movement. What's happening in Europe, just to, so we understand the background, in 2015, they, they had the United Nations Paris Climate Agreement, which essentially set forth uh, this concept of limiting the Earth's temperature to 1.5 degrees and the whole net zero agenda. And it became ingrained. All these countries pledged, which then became part of their court system. And actually, that's one of the reasons the Netherlands farmers came to the courts. It's not like the Netherlands legislators voted to start restricting farms. But what happened was Sri Lanka was before uh, the Netherlands, and they actually went full organic. They had one of the highest ESG scores in the country. The World Economic Forum was touting their agricultural climate-friendly reforms. And, of course, the entire country's food supply collapsed when they did this. And the peasants overran the presidential palace and went after and even swam in the swimming pool, and the, the leader was exiled. What this agenda demands in terms of agriculture, uh, first of all, just overall, it's the net zero means the intentional either collapse or severe restriction of energy, food, transportation, freedom of movement. In the case of food, they're looking for severe rationing of food. They're going after nitrogen-based fertilizer, which they say creates nitrous oxide, which is a warming agent. So that means cutting back on fertilizer means cutting back on high-yield agriculture, which in short means cutting back on plentiful food, which has been part of the green revolution that's fed billions throughout the world, particularly since the 1960s, people like Norman Borlaug. The other thing that net zero demands is methane restrictions. And methane restrictions mean what? Animal agriculture, the, the farting and belching of cows, sheep, pigs, any kind of animal agriculture. That's also in the crosshairs. And of course, you have Bill Gates and Richard Branson investing in the lab-grown meat, grown in steel vats um, with uh, in a Petri dish, and then eventually printed on a 3D printer, the most processed meat. Uh, it, it is technically meat because it's genetically derived from the stem cells from fetal blood, but it's, it grows amorphously in a steel vat. There's no eyes, no brain, the bone structure or, or bone structure. And then they have to, of course, add coloring and texture. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's, it looks like the pink slime you see in the videos of McDonald's chicken nuggets. But that's what they're doing. They're softening us up by making food rationing to accept the bugs and the lab-grown meat. So in the case of the Netherlands, they were facing uh, up to 10,000 family-run small and medium farms being decimated by the, quote, climate compliance costs of net zero. And the farmers didn't take it. They brought the tractors out. They blocked highways. They went to the, the, the state capital, the country's capital. And they went beyond that. They formed their own political party, the BBB. And they are part of a governing coalition now in the Netherlands stopping this. This has inspired, and this is the success story of the year uh, of the climate movement right now. Farmers in Romania, Poland, Germany, France, Farmers heading to the gates of the EU uh, headquarters in Brussels in tractors and bullhorns with a public support behind them. And they have literally brought the EU to its knees. They're now announcing that they are going to back away from the 30% cuts in agriculture and emissions that they were previously demanding. This is a success story we should be celebrating. And it shows you that not complying, not going along, not being quiet, not you know saying we're all in this together to fight climate change, instead saying, hell no, we're not going to take it. The EU is blinking. They're backing off. And let's hope this farmer's revolt holds and we can actually have the farmers lead 
a revolt against the energy restrictions and against the gas-powered car bans and against the entire rest of this loony climate debate, which, by the way, Sheila, has devolved in the last few weeks to levels I've never seen. Peer-reviewed study in December about human breath contributing to global warming, women heat the earth more than men with their breath, and now you have the Washington Post here in Washington, D.C., telling us that we need to recycle human hair. When you see floor sweepings at the barbershop or hair salon, you need to be thinking, save that hair. If it ends up in a, in a landfill, it'll be incinerated and cause emissions. We need to make clothing out of it, which will limit, which we can then go past that limit of the C40s of three new items of clothing per person per year. I have it on official UN guidance that they will allow us to have more than three items of clothing if we have from things like human hair made clothes gross like there's just so much of the environment movement that is disgusting from what they want me to eat for, to what they want me to do is my toenail clippings like it is just <laughs> gross and I, i'm a farmer but more than being a farmer i'm also a conservationist i'm the sixth generation on the land where i live i have a real tough time taking advice from people who don't ever get off the pavement telling me that they yeah. know what's best for my land and i think one part that's missing in all of this and we see this with i mean it's unrelated but it's also part of the same thing that progressives do they go after the big fish because the little fish will fall in line they're doing this with immigration yeah. with texas that's why they went after the netherlands is because they really are the agricultural yes breadbasket of europe and if you can flip the netherlands on board with your wacky climate agenda then everybody else will fall in line. But thankfully for those farmers, uh, they didn't. And they've inspired the other countries of the EU. They really and truly have. And they need major kudos for what they've done. You have such an assault. And here in the United States, Bill Gates, as according to NBC News, became America's number one farmland owner. Bill Gates, we're already seeing now the FDA has, to, has approved lab-grown meat. It, it pays to have... Uh, a lot of money and a lot of connections in government. Uh, you have Jeff Bezos, the owner of Amazon, all very close behind, may have even surpassed Bill Gates now in buying up farmland. You have China very close in that race, buying up U.S. farmland and other farmland. Of course, they're buying up all of Africa. This is a war against our food supply. In the United States, we have farm, uh, China buying up sausage factories and pork factories. Uh, and you have all of these restrictions now uh, on, on our food supply because of net zero. Canada is spread that there, all these net zero. Australia, the Australian biologist Jennifer Moriosi said it's decimating Australian farmers. Of course, it's spread all over Europe. John Kerry announced in summer 2023 that the net zero commitments were coming to the United States, that U.S. farmers were no longer exempt from this. So I'm hoping to see U.S. farmers on tractors heading to Washington, D.C. for this same uh, issue. But what they're doing, and this was a byproduct of COVID, which is what they loved, all of the supply chain issues, the lockdowns and the stay-at-home orders, they created, we had meat shortages. And even today, you go order a steak in a restaurant, it's probably two to three times what it was pre-COVID here. This is a feature, not a bug, of the system. They want to make everything expensive and ration it. They want us to eat more processed food. They want us to, uh, they want us to, to start opening up to eating insects. In Australia, public schools and in some in Europe, they started this. They give kids insect-based snacks. Now, they don't, they're based on crickets, but you don't, they're not eating what looks like crickets. They're eating cricket powder 
milled to a fine, greasy, crispy thing with lots of salt on it. And the kids are told to, quote, go home and pester their parents that they ate bugs and there's nothing wrong with it. That's a psyop on kids. It's all part of the net zero agenda against modern agriculture and farming. They want this because it's they want to control the food supply. When you get rid of all these small farmers, what's going to happen to them? Either they become strip malls or you're going to have the big conglomerates, equity asset firms, the big corporate coming in and taking over. It's the same thing that's happening. We had this happen with U.S. fracking during lockdowns with a huge drop in demand. We had a lot of smaller companies and landowners were leasing, and then you have instantly the big guys come in. This is why ExxonMobil has always supported carbon taxes, has always supported UN-Paris climate agreements with the UN, because they can afford the climate compliance costs, and they have the best lawyers and lobbyists. And so this is a way, kind of like the lockdown, COVID lockdown, to crush all the small businesses and the mom and pop and the small operators and consolidate to a huge corporate conglomerate that's easy to control and you can have the great corporate government collusion. It's happening in transportation. It's happening in food. Of course, it's happening in energy. You know, always the uprising comes from the blue collars that happened here in Canada with the Freedom Convoy. Yes. Every communist revolution, and really that's what this is. It's just a slow-moving green one. Yes. They've got to figure out what to do with the Kulaks, and I think that's what's happening here. Uh, while I have you, and I... You know, I'm going to ask you to speculate, but I feel like you're someone who thinks deeply about these issues like I do. Why is Bill Gates buying up the farmland? You know, it's funny is he was asked this and he claims that's like his he's got like a trust and they were just buying good investments and he knew nothing about it. NBC News reported that Bill Gates was buying up this land and that they actually noted Bill Gates isn't the farmer here. He's not the one in overalls. NBC News raised the specter of farmers losing their land due to these high compliance costs of climate and net zero and other regulatory schemes. Bill Gates buys their land and then they get to stay on it, but now they're working for Bill Gates. It's like a modern feudal serfdom. I think the reason, yeah, the reason Bill Gates is buying is really simple. He told MIT Technology Review that the entire Western world, Canada, United States, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, should not be eating uh, agricultural, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, actual meat from cows, sheep, and uh, from farms. He wants to move that all to factories. He wants to shut down animal agriculture and have everyone eating meat from a factory or a laboratory, I should say. These are laboratories where they make this uh, uh, lab-grown meat. Uh, again, from the stem cells from these animals festering and they're adding antibiotics and textures and food additives and processing it out on a 3D printer. So he's very clear. He wants that. He's got the sway. He's got the money. He's buying up the land. And he's got the government approval now for the first time the U.S. is approving lab-grown meat. They started with lab-grown chicken. They've approved for human consumption. We've never had that before. Give Georgia Maloney in Italy credit, the prime minister. She's already said our Italian pasta will not have bugs. We will not be eating bugs. We will not allow the bugs. She's one of the only leaders I'm aware of in Europe that's actually standing up. But by the way, even Richie Sunak now, Richie Rich, the prime minister of England, is now not listening to his climate advisor. He's backing away from the net zero, the car, the car gas-powered car bans. Uh, has the liberal heads exploding and the climate activist heads exploding in England. But they're facing reality. The whole thing is untenable at the moment. What they need to make it, force it on us, they need another crisis. And that's why this is a key part of this whole thing. 
right before I went to Dubai to the UN Climate Summit, 200 medical journals led by the British Medical Journal urged the World Health Organization to declare climate change a public health threat. World Health Organization has already declared climate change the existential threat of the 21st century. And in May in Geneva, Switzerland, you have the World Health Organization meeting to convene on this pandemic treaty, which Joe Biden administration here in the U.S. is pushing. I'm sure Justin Trudeau is all in on it. It's going to have climate components just like the public health. They want to merge COVID into climate, uh, climate into a public health issue. So guess what? A big hurricane hits or a tornado or a drought, they'll be able to justify airline restrictions, car restrictions, uh, thermostat controls. You know, we have to throttle down our emissions. They're causing a climate emergency. There's no end to what they'll be able to do if they get that. Yeah, they already know how to surveil us thanks to COVID. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, frankly, with Bill Gates, I just thought he was investing in biofuel and he was just going to use up all the farmland for that. But I do, I agree with you. Well, it's probably something more sinister. Yeah, I mean, it is It is that, too. He's got a lot of investments along that. But I think his you have to look. That's a short-term profit, a way to make money. But you have to look at the bigger picture. These are visionaries. They want to leave their mark on the world. And his whole goal is to end animal agriculture. And you can look at people like George Monbiot, the UK environmentalist. He wants to just shut down all farms. He thinks farms are destroying the earth. Imagine... If they got their way, even for and Greta Thunberg is a close friend. He advises Greta Thunberg. She's all into this as well. Imagine the famines and the starvation. But then you look at people like Hans Schulenhuber, the German climate advisor, and others. They believe the carrying capacity of the Earth is only one billion people. And you have things like the voluntary human extinction movement. So I don't necessarily think a lot of these climate activists would would think that's a bad thing to have a billion people die in a famine. In their eyes, it would be a, basically a cleansing of the earth that would be a positive development. And they tell me it's not a religion. Yeah, I, yeah. you know, I, I look at these people when they tell us to move away from animal agriculture and our bodies, frankly, they run on meat. They really do. There are certain chemicals that we can only get from animals that help our brains function, like DHA. And I think when you are forcing people to move away from the things that fuel their bodies and their minds, you are creating a weak, feeble-minded population that is very easy to control. And if yeah. people cannot afford, uh, you know, if they are forced between seat or eat, um, they will eat less to eat more, particularly in Canada. And you've got um, a populace that is just easy to herd around and manage. If you're one of these power broker oligarchs like Bill Gates and for me, I know it sounds like a conspiracy theory, but that's where I am, and uh, it will be steak on my plate <laughs> as frequently as possible. Well, just to add, thousands of years humans have been farming, uh, and for almost our entire existence on Earth, we've eaten meat. So suddenly in the year 2024, we're told, the Earth can't handle farming and eating meat anymore. It's, it's going to explode. It's a climate. It just it flies in the face of logic, science, common sense. It's time that we push back and push back hard against the actual framework of the narrative anymore. I'm sick of these, especially European leaders. I got to tell you, you're uh, the conservative leader that's running against Trudeau. Uh, I don't know what's his name, Pulliat. Very disappointed. I saw a video of him uh, talking about, yes, climate, and we're going to be sequestering, capturing carbon, and we're going to have seaweed farm. He's buying the entire narrative and just doing like we're going to do this. It just in giving out money for boondoggle investments. Very disappointed. That's not the way you win this battle by conceding the the argument. Yeah, it's true. You move the uh, front line closer to yourself <laughs> every every yeah. time you give ground to the other side. 
Mark, thanks for taking the time today. It's always fun, but also informative to talk to you. How do people find and support the work that you do? Thank you very much, Sheila. It's climatedepot.com. I'm on Twitter at, at @climatedepot, And I have a new daily show on TNT uh, called Unleashed with Mark Morano on TNT Radio. You can look that up. Thank you. I'm excited, <laughs> I'm excited right. about that. Mark, thanks for, so much for coming on the show. We'll talk to you very soon. Thank you, Sheila. Appreciate it. Stay with us. Your letters to Ezra unceremoniously read by me up after the break. You know, without you, there is no Rebel News, and it's why we care so much about what you think about the work that we do here, and it's why we give out our email address, and there's a whole bunch of different ways to contact us, and it's why I read your letters right now. Now, our first letter is from Chris Stafford, who writes to us on Ezra's interview with trucker lawyer Keith Wilson a couple of days ago. Chris writes, I feel it's time to call a spade a spade, to wit left-wing fascists. The left will claim fascism is a right-wing doctrine tied up with racism. Not true. See Spanish Civil War and the Moors. Fascism is any authoritarian rights-trampling creed. You know what? Also particularly when business becomes enforcers on behalf of the government. And boy, did we ever see that during COVID, didn't we? The left is very adept at using language rather than facts to make their case. See global warming to climate change and countless other examples in the spirit of Wigenstein and deconstruction. I suggest all rebel reporters change the labels when appropriate to left-wing fascists. Chris Stafford. You know, it, it's... So true. It, language is important because language can sort of change the culture once you adopt it. It's why I reject being forced to use pronouns that I know are not accurate, right? Because then I've been adopted into the delusion as well. Now, there's a difference between being polite and, and choosing to use certain language and then there is being forced. And I, I just won't. And you are so right about what was first global warming, but then it was, uh, that wasn't happening. <laughs> it didn't actually get warmer. And then, so they said climate change, but the climate always changes. So now what do they call it? Climate weirding or extreme weather. Um, as though extreme weather is some sort of new thing. Um, yeah, they just keep changing the labels to fit their worldview and the rest of us kind of adopted and I I just don't think we should for example they do this right now with medical assistance in dying uh it sounds sterile and compassion when you say it that way compassionate but let's cut to the chase here it's euthanization it is medical killing is what it really is. And I think when we use the words of the other side, we sort of concede a little bit of ground to them that we probably shouldn't. You're right, Chris. Next email is a, a generic email. Came to the email inbox. Comes from somebody named Robbie or Roby. Uh, I hope I've said that right one of those ways. Says, good day, Ezra. First of all, big fan of Rebel. I'm sure based on all the hard work and activism you and your team have done, you've thought of many ways to tackle this issue, but I figured I'd drop you an idea. If our goal is to move 
trans away from grooming or being a safe and even uplifting place for vulnerable, impressionable kids and teens, how do we make trans issues front, right, center of Mental Health Awareness Month? How do we get every Bell Let's Talk logo to be pride trans colored? This is a mental illness, as I know you well know, that in many cases can pass with good parenting, nurturing, commitment from society after those confusing childhood years. It's time to call out these progressives for their lack of support for the trans community in a very special month dedicated to their issues and actually support these kids. I don't want to see any child fall victim to these confusing psychological tricks and delusions. Keep up the great work, Roby or Robbie. I said this the other day on my show. I don't actually think I am all that far apart from radical trans activists on the issue of keeping vulnerable, impressionable, confused kids from harming themselves. I just don't think that medical, surgical interventions and cross-sex hormones are the right way to do it. And in fact, all the statistics show that as well, that kids who undergo medical and social transition are still depressed and maybe even more depressed with suicidal ideation post-medical transition than they were before. So what does that tell us? This is not the solution. And almost all the studies show, and even studies done by sort of true believers in this issue, show that gender confusion, body dysmorphia, it resolves itself with the onset and conclusion of natural puberty. So what we're really doing is denying impressionable, vulnerable kids the cure to what ails them by giving them puberty blockers. And the other side knows this. They just don't care because these aren't their kids. And so these kids are just collateral damage in their radical agenda where they tear down all of our social constructs and replace them with their own perverse ones. These people have truly decided that they need to kill God and replace him with themselves. And nothing, nothing, nothing good will come of that. Well, everybody, that's the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I normally say I'll see everybody back here in the same time in the same place next week, but this isn't my show. <laughs> this is Ezra's show, and he always says, keep fighting for freedom. <laughs>